0: Once upon a time, a fourth grader with wild brunette curls and Philadelphia Eagle sweatpants leaned over to his classmate and whispered, what did you get on your test? Might seem like a kind, compassionate question for a fourth grader to ask, but this time, it was not. Because the kid with the curls was fishing. He was really hoping his friend would return the question, What did you get on your test? Because the fourth grader did great on the test. And he didn't want to keep that news to himself. He wanted to boast about it. He wanted the whole class to know about it. And I shouldn't have started that story with once upon a time because that's my story. I have been a competitive kid since I came out of the womb. I cannot remember a time in my life when I didn't care about how my life and my performance compared to other people. I remember in third grade, actually, I got my first ever A-minus in school. And you know what I did? I somehow dragged my mother to my third grade teacher to try to convince her to drop the minus so I could hold on to just the A. I remember in fourth grade, not just comparing test scores but comparing with my friends who had scored the most individual points on our dinky grade school basketball team. In fifth grade, I got into a huge argument with my teacher about the number of reading points I had. I was trying to convince her that cartoons and comic books counted because they were words on a page just like any classic novel. In sixth grade, I took the ACT. Twice. (laughs) Some people go out and smoke during the breaks. I could barely reach the water fountain because I wanted to do the best. When I got to high school, I wanted to be the best. I have always been a competitive Christian. And that's true even today. I'm a grown, middle-aged man, but do you know what I did when my family recently came home from a road trip vacation? I asked my wife, do you think we could unpack everything in 15 minutes? (laughs) <laughs> and she rolled her eyes because she knows this about my heart, but I just I want everything to be a, a competition and a comparison. How about you? Are you one of those Christians like me who counts who's constantly aware of all the numbers? Who knows where you stand when it comes to athletics or academics or social media or sales at your job? If so, let me ask you a question. Is it good to be a competitive Christian? Is competition against the will of our Father in heaven? The biblical answer is this. Uh, Competition is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's like a brick. You could take a brick and smash it through someone's window, that'd be a bad thing. Or you could take a brick and build a hospital or an orphanage, which would be a very good thing. The question is not the thing itself, it's what you do with it. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the the next few videos. How can competitive Christians use their competition to be a good thing for God and not a bad thing that goes against God? Because you've seen both, right? If you're competitive, I'm guessing you're pretty good at things. You have that inner drive and motivation that wants to exceed and excel, to use all of the gifts that God has put in your heart, your mind, and into your hands for the glory of his name. I've seen that in my life. That God has allowed me to exceed and excel, have some influence. That's a good thing for his kingdom. And the other 94% of the time, it's a really tempting thing, right? that when we don't compare well, we mope and we pout. God blesses us with a 75-degree day and a body that can run around a field, but if you you don't play well, you throw away the whole day. You can be sitting in 2,000 square feet of air-conditioned blessing with ice cream waiting for you in the freezer, but when you check social media and the numbers aren't good, you feel like you're not blessed but, but cursed. It's a challenge to be competitive. And that's why, in the videos to come, I want to talk about all the comparisons that people like us make. We compare our bodies to other people's bodies. We compare our intelligence to other people's intelligence. We compare ourselves on social media. We even compare our faith to the faith of other Christians. How how can we resist some of those temptations and use our competition for the glory of God? We're going to get there in the videos to come, but, but I want to lay down a foundation with this great passage from the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He says in verse 13, I can do all this through God who gives me strength. Paul learned the secret of being content and it wasn't another win. It was just more of him. In these videos, that's what I want to give you not tips so that you can out-compete your closest neighbor. I want to give you more of God and convince you that he is infinitely better than any comparison this world has to offer. So, fellow competitor, take a deep breath. You can be content today, no matter what the numbers say, because you have God. And God, he is all that you need. Do you know what I looked like when I was 18 years old? Like this. (laughs) So, I just hit 40. It's been a couple decades since my high school graduation. But if you would uh, throw some Just For Men over the gray hairs and (laughs) Botox out some of these wrinkles, this is exactly how I have looked my entire adult life. About six feet, two inches tall, 175 pounds, and it doesn't matter what I do, that doesn't change. other day at a, a church staff picnic, I ate six bratwursts for lunch. <laughs> I got on a scale the next day, same thing. <laughs> I've trained in a gym, I've packed in creatine and protein powder, weight gain shakes. Want to guess what happens? The exact same thing. Now, if you're watching this video, you're probably one of those competitive Christians, which means there's something you're doing right now, you're you're comparing your body to my body. Right, once the numbers got specific and I actually put a, a number on how much I weigh, then you started thinking about yourself and you, you probably had an emotional reaction and it might have been a good one or a bad one. Maybe you got really angry. Maybe you're very tempted to click off this video. <laughs> Maybe you hated me because you're the kind of person that like looks at a cupcake and, and gains a few pounds. Or maybe you're feeling good about yourself, that you actually, you don't know, have muscles on your body, that <laughs> the width is different before and after your elbow because God has, God has put beef on, on your frame. But actually, do you know how you should feel about my body? Because you know what it's like to to be me? Meh. Having a metabolism like mine, it might seem really good and sometimes it is really good. (laughs) It's nice, honestly, to have six bratwurst, two slices of cheesecake and to see the same body when you wake up in the morning. But do you know what wasn't so good? Uh, When I was the scrawny kid in high school and in, in choir class, you know, we had to kind of turn to our neighbor and give a little back rub to relax before we would sing. And uh, this one classmate of mine says really loud so all, what, 50 kids in the class could hear, Mike, why are you so bony? Yeah, that one sticks with you. Or when I go to a pool party and I'm a single high school kid just hoping to catch a girl's eye. And even though I've been lifting and subscribing to muscle magazines and hitting the gym and waking up literally at 2 a.m. setting an alarm to eat protein and a turkey sandwich I can't put on weight. I'm a scrawny, rib-covered kid. And I'm doing as many push-ups as I can in the locker room before I come out to the pool. You want to guess what that was like? But you probably didn't think about that when I told you my weight. You just compared. You know, God wants to save us from the constant comparisons with other people's bodies. The point is, he made me, me. He made you, you. And there's good parts about being you and there's hard parts about being you. There's blessings to being tall. And if you've ever been in an airplane as a tall person, there are curses to being tall. There are hard parts about being built like that and there are beautiful parts about being built like that. But God is just done with the comparisons because he wants to give you joy. Now, we should take care of our bodies, right? We should try to sleep and and exercise and put the proper nutrition, but we're all going to be different. And according to God, that is okay. I love these words from King David in Psalm 139. He said, God, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, he's talking about his body. The soul, your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. Today, if you're a competitive Christian, can I encourage you just to take a deep breath and ask God to help you end the comparison? The devil's been hustling you to think that she has the body that you need or he has the the muscles that you want. Listen, God made you, you. Acts 17 says he determined the exact times and places where people should live, which means he he planned your family tree. He picked your ethnicity. The shape of your eyes, the texture of your hair, your height, your your frame, your shape, that, that is a gift from a good God. And just like heaven is filled with diversity, with people from different tribes and languages and people and nations, our earth is filled with diversity too. Tall and short, every skin color under the sun. It is a beautiful thing that God has made us how we are. And if that doesn't convince you to stop the comparison game, uh, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus look like? The perfect, joy-filled Son of God, what was his height and weight? Or how about Mary Magdalene, his faithful friend? Peter? Paul? (laughs) Apparently, the shape of our bodies means so little to God, he says absolutely nothing about it. So, let's fix our attention on the things that matter to God. Love, joy, faith, and Jesus. Will you pray for me? I need it. I'll try to pray for you too. Amen. I recently heard the sad but true story of a woman named Sylvia and the Loser List. Apparently, she worked at a company that was doing big things and her boss ran that company in a really strange way. Outside of his office were two big whiteboards where he listed the company's current winners and the company's current losers. Perform well. Get the sale create, add value and you'd be a winner for everyone to see. But mess up, fail, lose a client and guess where your name would end up? After years of being on his winner list, Sylvia messed something up. And when her name appeared on the other board, she couldn't function. It's weird the world and how it works, isn't it? Like these lists of who's a winner and who's a loser. Who's good and who's bad? Who's smart and who's not? We've been speaking in these videos about comparisons. And I wanted to tell you that story because our brains sometimes do what Sylvia's boss did. We try to figure out, you know, who the smart people are, the people with potential and intelligence and influence, and who the people that aren't really worth our time are. And unfortunately, there are a lot of standardized tests that have a really good purpose, but our hearts can use them in very bad ways. And we can use a report card in grade school to figure out who's smart and who's not. We can compare GPAs and who's valedictorian and who's not. We can look at things like ACT or SAT scores. We can figure out by a person's vocabulary who's well-spoken, who's intelligent, who can hang with us intellectually and who can't. And I want to tell you, if you're tempted by that, that is so dangerous for your soul. It's going to lead you to one of two places, both of which are bad. Pride or despair. When you're an intellectual winner, you're going to feel proud about how hard you've worked or how much you've studied or the degree that you have or the little initials behind your name. But then maybe you find yourself with people who are a little bit more intelligent who have an advanced degree, who've done things that you haven't, who know things that you don't, who can solve problems that you can't. And when your name gets moved to the loser list, it's not pride that afflicts you, but despair. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He tells us about a God that isn't picking winners and losers. He is a God who loves the world and who in fact loves to pick the people on the world's loser list to be his own sons and daughters. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, "Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called." Like do you remember when God called you, when he chose you, when you first heard about his acceptance and his love in Jesus? <laughs> Paul reminds them. He says, "Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth." But God, I love those two words. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I love that. Comparing our intelligence to other people seems fun until it's not. But grace is something that brings us joy every single day. God chose us. God wants us. Because of Jesus, God's not about to erase our name and put it on the loser list. Instead, we, we just have this confidence that we are part of his family and that will never change because of Jesus. So if, if God may be you above average smart, use it for his glory. Admit it, it's only by his grace that I think like this and I can solve problems like this. And if you're one of those kids who can never compete, if your grades were never that great, if you have friends who use big words that you honestly don't know what it means, think about this. God chose you. The all-knowing God. (laughs) The supreme wisdom of wisdom. He chose you. And serve him with humble faith and with passionate love. Because you never know. At the end of the story, God might use you for the greatest good. I recently read, uh, many decades ago, about this Austrian doctor who tracked the lives of two babies born on the exact same day. A young boy was born very healthy and he seemed to have incredible opportunity in front of him. And a little girl was born with some challenges with Down syndrome. The first family of the little boy celebrated a healthy child. The other family came to grips with the challenges that were ahead of them, but do you know what happened when the doctor followed the trajectory of their lives decades later? The little boy, named Adolf would become one of the world's greatest villains. And the little girl with Down syndrome would become a beautiful example of Jesus' sacrificial love. When her own mother had a stroke, it was she who was by her side, loving her, showing compassion, and with childlike faith, giving her grace. So, enough with the intellectual comparisons. Whatever your scores, whatever your grades, God has a great plan for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. They're different, they are unique, and that is part of your good plan. For those listening who maybe are above average on the intelligence scale, keep them humble. And for those who who struggle to keep up with, with the standards and the tests, help them not to despair, but to believe that you are a good God who has a great plan for their life. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a competitive Christian, you should really listen to Justin Bieber. Uh, In early 2021, Justin Bieber did an expansive article with GQ magazine. And he retold the story of what it was like to be one of human history's most famous people. You ever think about that? It really took social media platforms and the internet. It took Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Spotify for people to become more globally famous than anyone else in human history. And Justin Bieber was exactly that. One of his early videos, his music video for Baby, I think currently has 2.5 billion views on YouTube. Billion! (laughs) And yet, even though his number is so insanely high, do you know how Justin Bieber felt in the middle of that? Lonely. Lost. Confused. In the GQ article, he says how some of his security guards would come into his hotel rooms at night to check his pulse to make sure he was still alive after using, after getting high, after trying to escape. His story reminds me, especially as a competitive Christian, that one more like, one more view, it just won't do. Sean Parker One of the the founders, I think the the first president of Facebook, he said that social media was exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. You kind of recognize that we all want to be noticed. We all want to be known. We all want someone to applaud and say to us, well done. And yet, when we throw our souls into the social media universe, it, it doesn't work. Just ask Justin Bieber. One comedian called social media the new smoking, something that's highly addictive and very dangerous. Now, you're probably watching this video on YouTube or Facebook right now, so you should know that I'm not categorically against it. I just want to warn you if you're a competitive person like I am, you now have to be very, very careful. We will never touch the 2.5 billion views that Justin Bieber got, but we still notice, right? We notice how many hearts, how many thumbs up, how many likes, how many shares. If this post is above average or below our our normal, that can affect us spiritually. It can mess with our contentment and our peace and our joy. You can be sitting in a warm bed in a beautiful home. You can be well-fed and notice as you scroll and it can mess with your soul. So spiritually, what do you and I do with that? And we've talked in a previous video about what to do if we're comparing our our bodies or our brains to other people. What happens when we're comparing our online selves? To what page of the scripture should we turn? Well, let me really quickly suggest three passages. The first one is from 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you know that story, God has chosen a young shepherd boy named David to be the second king of Israel except no one expects him to be the second king of Israel, not even the prophet Samuel. God sends him to David's family's house and when Samuel the prophet sees all of David's brothers, his tall, strong, royal-looking brothers, he thinks, this has to be the guy or or maybe this one or that one. And God says this amazing thing to the prophet. He, He says, no, I haven't chosen any of them. You're looking at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Social media, in so many ways, often rewards the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. So as you think about who likes and how many likes, just remember what God likes. He likes the heart. Beauty can get likes. Anger can get likes. Slander can get likes. (laughs) Foolishness can get likes. But what God likes is what happens in the heart. Second thing to remember, it is God who is in control of how much you are liked. I love this passage from 1 Corinthians, chapter three. The Apostle Paul was speaking to the Corinthians who were actually comparing their favorite pastors, Paul or Peter or Apollos, and here's Paul's response. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, neither the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, who makes things grow. If God has blessed you with a big platform, all praise to God or if God's just given you an opportunity to serve one or two people faithfully for many years. All glory to God. God chose the Apostle Paul, despite his flaws and sins, to write 13 books of the New Testament. The Apostle John got five, the Apostle Peter got two, and the Apostle Thomas got zero. Does that mean that we should compare their importance? Paul says, no. We are all just servants as the Lord has assigned to each of us our task. Finally, if you struggle with not being liked by the world, remember that because of Jesus, you are liked by God. <laughs> There's this great passage in Isaiah, chapter 2, where God kind of scoffs and he says, What, what is a human being who has only a breath in his nostrils? <laughs> like, oh! <"Whoa." laughs> How important it is that you click that little like button. <laughs> like, you're, you're just a person and I'm just a person. We, we are so small. Our lives are so short, but not God. Because Jesus died on the cross for all of our, our craziness, all of our weird infatuations, because he cleansed us and made us perfect in the sight of our heavenly Father, when God looks at us, when God looks at you, Christian, he notices and he approves. He loves you. and In fact, the Bible says he likes you. So if you're competitive, don't grab your phone and scroll. Instead, consider what God thinks about your soul that you are his, his dearly loved child, and he likes you. Let that be enough. Amen. I can still remember the podcast that made me cry. I was a young pastor at my first church. I was learning the ropes, (laughs) trying not to mess things up, (laughs) and hurt people too badly. And I got connected through a podcast feed to a preacher who was doing incredible things. He he had amazing gifts. He was bold and confident. He focused on Jesus Christ. He spoke with passion and his church was just exploding with numbers and influence. And I I listened and I tried to learn. And I was never like that. I remember uh, one sermon. I was listening late at night. My family was already asleep. And just the confidence this man had with the gospel was so far from where I was that I walked out of my house, uh, I went to a local park and I sat on a bench in front of this little lake and I wept at what a weak Christian I was. Now, Being a competitive Christian is, is pretty difficult. At the same time as we are drawn to people who are very gifted, that, that same connection and relationship can crush us. And maybe you felt that, too. As a competitive person, it's not just the things we've already talked about in other videos, comparing our bodies or our brains, comparing our our influence or our reach. Sometimes what we are comparing is our faith, our gifts. Yeah, we notice people who seem to know tons about the Bible or those who are just confident as they share their faith, even though we're scared and fumbling and looking for the words. Some people seem to have the gift of hospitality and they host amazing parties and you, you just, you're not that. And some people give generously without fear and you're terrified to do so. We, we compare ourselves to other Christians, which isn't entirely bad. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that we should imitate the faith of those who have gone before us. That sometimes God puts in our path people who are a step or two or 10 ahead of us. And he actually has a good purpose for that, that we would be driven internally to be more like them so we could be more like Jesus. It, it, it's not bad to notice the differences, to ask with humility, how did you get like that? Now, teach me how to be that confident, how to be that, that generous. That, that's not a bad thing. What is a bad thing, though, is what happened to me on that day. As I sat on that bench feeling uh, worthless and useless in the kingdom of God. Despite the gifts that God had given me, despite the the church that he had blessed me to serve at and and to pastor, I I felt like I was doing nothing. That's not where God wants competition to go. So when you find yourself comparing your faith to other people, what should you do? Let me give you two quick passages to answer that question, both from the book of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians had a whole bunch of problems when it came to comparisons. and, And so Paul speaking to very talented people, very spiritually gifted people, he said this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, who makes you different from anyone else? Like, okay, you're you're different. You're better at this or that. Who made you that way? And the answer, of course, is God. (laughs) He continues with another question. What do you have that you did not receive? Okay, so you're a great public speaker. You're a courageous evangelist. You have a a sharp mind. You're quick with your words. Where where did you get that from? Oh yeah, you received it. From whom? And the answer again is from God. (laughs) And then one more question. He says, And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? To competitive Christians, Paul is correcting our pride, right? He's not denying that we have gifts. He's not denying that we might be different, maybe even better. In certain things in other people, but if that's a gift from God, how can we boast? And said we should say, thank you, God, for this, this gift. It's from your spirit. It's from you. Help me to use it faithfully. Help me to serve others humbly. But what if you're different in what seems like an inferior way? What if your problem is not pride as you look at other people, but despair? Well, Paul's answer is in the same book of the Bible. Jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a great chapter on spiritual gifts. And Paul has this incredible section where we can't despair because God has a great plan for us in his kingdom. He talks about that God has given greater honor to the parts of the Christian body that lack it. He says that there are some people who seem like we don't need them but he says here in verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Like you, (laughs) if you feel weaker than the average person at your church, according to that passage, you are indispensable to the work of God. You might not realize it yet but just like that that part of your body, the muscle that you don't notice because it's not one of the big ones, it's indispensable when you try to run or walk or lift up and and take care of a child. Believe that. If you have obvious gifts, believe that they come from God. If you feel like you don't have any gifts, believe that you're wrong. They might seem weaker, but you are indispensable in the body of Christ. Uh, Listen, comparisons are no joke. Some of us compare ourselves to everyone all the time, but God's word can help. So that we stop living to be better than them and get their approval, but instead we just fix our eyes on the God who loved us first. Let me leave you with a story with um, the only bodybuilder I've ever met. <laughs> I once met this uh, guy named Rick, um, and he had a friend named Keith, who they called Big Keith. Uh, Rick was a, a passionate Christian and so when he met Big Keith, this bodybuilder, he learned the story that Keith was amazing, but he wasn't the most amazing. There were many competitions where he did his best and he pushed hard in the gym, but he would end up second instead of first and that would that would crush Keith's spirits. And so Rick, this wise Christian, he, he said, Brother, do you know what you need to do? You need to do your work for an audience of one. God. Serve God the best you can. And whatever happens, however the world judges you, that's none of your business. It's all about you and God. When Keith first heard that message from Rick, he said, huh? But eventually, God changed his heart to believe it and to practice it. In his future career, uh, Keith um, competed in these really major events. And time after time after time, he came in second instead of first. When a major um, muscle magazine interviewed Keith, they asked him, how did it feel to be so close but to fall just short? Do you know what Keith said? I'm performing for an audience of one. And the interviewer said, huh? But Keith could just smile. Because his hope, his joy, and his contentment wasn't in comparison It was in his Savior, Jesus Christ, his audience of one. I pray that you and I, and every competitive Christian, can do the same. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for making us competitive. There's a drive that you have put in our hearts that not everyone has. Thank you for that gift because that is what it is, a gift. Jesus, as you taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. All the temptations of comparison and ugly competition, rid us of that and protect us from that by your Holy Spirit. And instead, help us to humbly serve you. To seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. To believe that we are gifted servants who are all gathered together as one body to lift up and glorify the name of Jesus. We pray this all in that beautiful name. Amen. Hey, hey! It's Pastor Mike. Thanks for listening today. This is actually something else I think you'd really enjoy and it's our latest podcast from my friend C.L. Whiteside. Uh, I could gush about C.L. and his gifts and the message he's bringing to the Time of Grace community but instead I'm going to let C.L. tell you in his own words what his podcast is all about. Something that's been on my mind has been when did this cancel culture begin and people started saying this person is done or they're dead to me? And what makes cancel culture intriguing is that if you aren't angry, like the majority of people are also angry, and you're not saying I'm done listening to them, or I actually forgive them, you get canceled too. So you can't forgive somebody and want to move on and not want to dwell on it your entire life. Join me, CL White Tide, on my podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth. Search The Non-Microwave Truth wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.